Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. It's never too late to go back. And in fact, the wisest thing I could tell you is to go back. <laughs> get back with the Lord. Wherever you're at, just get back with Him because sunshine and all that stuff may be what's on the radar for you. Good days, calm seas may be on the radar for you. But there might be some storm that you were never anticipating. Jacob was probably never expecting Rachel to die that early. He was probably never anticipating that. Praise God, he got back. The best thing that you can do in life is accept Jesus into your heart. All other decisions pale in comparison. Today, Pastor James teaches you that Jesus is always willing to take you back. Jacob had strayed from God and yet was still embraced as God's child upon his return. When the love of his life passed away, Jacob was able to lean in on God. The support of the Lord was there for him to help him continue on. Jesus wants to be a rock for you to lean on. Allow him into your life and you'll gain his unmovable foundation. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 35 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Somebody's going around saying, I have a new revelation from God. I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to pass on that because I still don't even understand all the old ones he said. So let me focus on this. I'm going to spend my lifetime trying to figure out what he's already said. Um, and you can keep the new revelations to yourself because I'm just not interested because I don't think he needs to say anything else. He said a lot in his word. So I'm just going to hear that. I'm going to, I'm going to, hit, I'm going to just listen to that. Um, it's safer that way too. I don't know about you. I've heard some of these new revelations, and I'm like, I don't think that's biblical. <laughs> um, I don't know if we're reading the same Bible or even following the same God. I, I don't know, but um, whatever. Uh, just stick to this. You don't need a new one. You just need to be reminded of what he's already said, and specifically what he's already said about you. So he called his name Israel, verse 11, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, or El Shaddai. Right? That's a cool name for God. That just sounds cool. El Shaddai. That just sounds cool and powerful. Well, because it is. That means he's powerful. He's God Almighty. God the most powerful. There's none bigger or stronger than him, is what this name is saying. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai. And he tells him, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. Well, hold on, wait, there's problems in the land today. Who actually owns the land? Um, God does, okay? So if there's any dispute on who owns the land and the West Bank and all, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, God owns that land, and he can give it to whoever he wants, okay? Uh, I'll tell you this too. Um, This land that we occupy, that we call America, um, God owns that too, and he can give it to whoever he wants. In fact, the whole earth... In the whole universe. We'll just say it. He owns it all because he made it and he can do with it whatever he wants and give it to whoever he wants. Settled. It's done. That's all they need. That's all they need to know over there, right? And then peace and I don't know. They, they, they're working it out. Um, but we know, even from, from what the word says initially, I mean, there's no issues there. God's like, yeah, it's mine. And I gave it to Abraham. Done. And Abraham, because Ishmael didn't, wasn't qualified to receive the promise, and it goes to Isaac. 
and Isaac received the promise. And Esau was not qualified to receive the promise, so it went to Jacob. And so Jacob, and then on to his boys. That's how it is. So God has given in this land to, this, to your descendants, I give this land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had talked with him, pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel, okay, house of God. So just a nice little reminder of what God has already said in this interaction. And this is also something that we need to be aware of. This is the last time God shows up in Genesis. This is it. The last time he makes an appearance in Genesis. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not active or even speaking through Genesis, because we're about to transition into my all-time favorite, Joseph. Hands down, my all-time favorite guy. Love this guy. Love this guy. Um, We're going to transition into his life uh, in a couple of chapters. But as far as God showing up, not going to happen anymore in Genesis. This is the last time. This is the last time. So God meets with Jacob, reminds him of what he's already said, reminds him of who God says that he is, who Jacob is, and then he leaves. And then he leaves. And he won't show up again in presence kind of that way. Well, until the nation of Israel is kind of on the way out of Israel or out of the way of Egypt. So this is fascinating, just kind of fascinating what's, hap- what's, what's going on there. Jacob responds by offering up a drink offering. He's pouring that out uh, on the pillar that he sets up. And he's going to anoint that, so to speak, with oil as well. And he's going to rightly identify this place yet again as Bethel, or even, as we know from earlier, El Bethel. This is the place, the house of God. And, uh, and we've seen God Almighty show up, El Shaddai, and we've, God of the house. What you need to understand is there's like 20 references to God in this chapter. You know how many were in 34? Zero. You, you, and I, I should have told you guys that last week, and that just shows kind of how my brain works sometimes. <laughs> Where I went home Sunday after church, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I forgot to say that. Uh, that's good, because it works today. There's no mention of God in 34. Zero. No names. Nothing. Nothing. You get into 35 where God shows up to Jacob and says, it's time to clean house. It's time to go back to Bethel. His name is all through this chapter, because we're back on track. We're back on track. And just when you have that all set up, I mean, it's like, yeah, you know what? It's a bummer I lost Deborah. She was a friend. That's sad. You know, it, I mean, she's older. And I mean, it's her time. Her race was done. She finished well. I'm sure of it. And I've had this amazing encounter with God. It can't get any better than this. Right? You talk about mountaintop experiences. You talk about mountaintop experiences. I mean, there's God. I mean, you are interacting with El Shaddai. And then you get slapped in the face with reality. Your best friend, the one that you love more than anybody else on this planet, dies. Praise God he's in Bethel. Praise God he's in the right place when he loses the one that is so near and dear to his heart. Can I just encourage all of us to stay connected to Jesus, move where he is, Always be just at his hip, so to speak, because you never know what life's going to throw you. You never know what's around the corner. And it is far better to be found in him in those moments than facing Shechem, than camped out in Shechem, where there's not even a mention of God in your life. 
So the encouragement is get back to Bethel. It doesn't mean that something bad's going to happen in your life. So I don't hope you don't think that way. But it is always better to be where God is present and just to worship him and worship him. And have that heart and that mindset of like, Lord, I don't know what's going to come, but I know this. I'm going to keep following you. I will keep following you. Verse 16, they journey from Bethel. So it's not like they're doing anything bad here. They're moving where, you know, God is kind of directing them. We, we understand that Jacob is more than likely way more in tune with where God wants him to go now, okay? So they're going from Bethel, and this is fascinating, the track that they go on. And when there was uh, but a little distance to go to uh, Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, her soul was departing. She was dying as she's giving birth to this child. That she called his name Ben-Onai, or Oni, uh, but his father, thankfully so, rightfully so, called him Benjamin. Okay, not son of my sorrow, but son, son of my right hand. Um, He changed, Jacob showed up and he he changed his name. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to uh, Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So just outside the city limits of Bethlehem, so to speak. There Rachel is, she's pregnant. We didn't even know that. Um, and she's ready to give birth. And, and during the process of the childbirth, um, yeah, we don't know. Something went wrong. And, and she passes away. And she passes away. She dies. And we've, man, we've been walking with this family for a while now. And I hope that it like, kind of tugs at your heart as it does mine, where you're just kind of like, it's like reading a really good book, and you're invested in the characters, and you're like, no. You're like, no, 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 say it's not so. It, that can't be. She gives birth to, to Benjamin, and in the process, she loses her life. She'll, she loses her life, and Jacob has to bury her on the way there. I mean, just right outside of Bethlehem there in Ephrath. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of, Rachel, uh, of Rachel's grave to this day. So that, remember, this is Moses writing this book to the children of Israel, and he's saying, hey, here's what I want you guys to know. Um, because we're going into the promised land, and you're going to come across this little pillar. And you need to understand, especially for some of you guys, Jacob, Benjamin and the tribes that would span off of them, as we know that there's kind of, you know, certainly the tribe of Benjamin and then the two from Jacob, or jo- uh, Joseph, sorry. He's letting him know, like, you're going to come across that pillar. And that's a monument. That's a monument to her. That was a tremendous moment within Jacob's life. And that should matter to all of us. That should matter to all of us. A stone of remembrance for this lady. Was she perfect? Not at all. Not at all. Was the family situation perfect or ideal? Not at all. But was she used by God? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Jacob's going to honor her, her life by setting up this pillar on her grave. But then he has to leave her. He has to leave her. He has to go on. And it's sad. It's tragic. And that's, that's, that's the hard thing about life. That, it really is a hard thing about life and dealing with death. And death is an enemy. Death is an enemy. Please understand that. When God created all this stuff, we know when he created all this stuff, Death wasn't part of the plan. Sin brought death. Disobedience brought death. If it crushes your heart to see some of these stories and and some of these individuals passing away, and even from your own family, please understand that it crushes God's heart 
in dealing with this as well. Because again, we're dealing, this is a, this is a byproduct of Adam and Eve's disobedience. Death wasn't a part of the creation. It wasn't there. It wasn't there. Praise God. We can read through the Old Testament, and we are reminded of those truths, but I would always encourage you, camp out in the New Testament, because we read from books like 1 Corinthians, where Paul would even say, hey, death, where's your sting? Where's your sting? You want to know why it's not there? Because Jesus took the full brunt of that thing. And so, yeah, we may pass away, we may pass on and all that stuff, but for a believer, it's not death, it's just sleep. And you wake up in the presence of God. It's, it, it can be a beautiful thing in that sense. But from the beginning, it wasn't intended like that. And, but here's, here's Jacob, and he loses Rachel. Rachel was the one that he, he, Rachel was the only one he wanted to marry. She was the only one he wanted to marry. He was given Leah in place of Rachel. She was the one that had his heart from the very beginning, from the very beginning. But they're on a journey. They're on a journey. And so he, he needs to, out of respect for his wife and her body, he, he's going to bury her. And he sets up this pillar on her grave. Verse 21, then Israel. Notice the difference there. From Jacob to Israel. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the river Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and laid with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now, wait, What? Okay, so just in case, and if, if we haven't been paying attention, Jacob just lost Rachel, just lost Rachel. And you're telling me, in a matter of days, possibly weeks, your son goes and sleeps with the concubine who birthed your other children? What's he doing? What's he thinking? What's going on in Reuben's head? Possibly this. It's time for me to step up and take over this family. It's time for me, because usually that's what they would do, right? You we all remember the story of David. He had a son, Absalom. He did the same thing in the presence of everyone, in the presence of everyone, in the middle of the city. What was he saying? I'm in charge now. I'm in charge now. This could be what Reuben's saying. Maybe he fell in love with this lady. Yeah, gross, okay? I'm sorry, no. Do I need to label the family tree here? I mean, it's, I know she, it's gross. No, what are you thinking, dude? Like, what is going on in your brain? I think there's a good chance. There could have been a power struggle that was happening. What the Lord's going to do with it, it's, he removes Reuben. Reuben, you're not qualified. Because what God's doing with this family is, essentially, he's building this family and this nation to introduce the Messiah to the world. Well, he's not coming through Levi's line because that dude's crazy. Simeon, that guy was nuts too because both of those guys killed that whole city. Reuben, this guy's a bad guy. So those three older ones are disqualified. That leaves you with the next one up. His name is Judah. His name is Judah, and it's from him that Jesus would come into this world. The lion from the tribe of Judah. These guys are disqualifying themselves. Reuben's a bad dude. This is just this is just dis. This is just crazy. This is totally disrespectful. Your dad just lost his, his wife. Now, I know Reuben probably doesn't have a lot of respect for his dad because his mom is Leah. And so there's probably some contention there. Of like, dude, you don't even love my mom. And I question how much you actually even love me because I'm a product of Leah. And I know Joseph and Benjamin are your favorites. And that'll be clearly established in a little bit. 
it's just, it's like heartache, and then there's like this pain on top of pain, and it's like, my goodness, what is going on with this family? They just had the most, they just got rid of all the idols. They just cleaned house. They just put on the new garments. And then Reuben goes and does this. And it says, and Israel heard about it. What, what did he do about it? He heard about it. But what did he do? Nothing. Nothing. The same way he heard about his daughter being raped. What would you do? Nothing. Dude, do something. (laughs) Get mad. At least get mad. At least punch a hole in the wall or something. Show some sort of sign of emotion that you are upset about this. This happens. He hears about it. Crickets. What is that? What is his response? You know, okay, sarah, sarah, you know, whatever will be, will be. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it is what it is. Like, no, that's stupid. Like, no, it's sin in your house, your son, your concubine. Address it. No addressing of it. There will be, but on his deathbed. And he addressed his sons, Simeon and Levi, on his deathbed. It's like, Jacob, on your way out, dude, it's not the time to address these issues you deal with them now, not when you're like, hey, I'm checking out. Um, my time's done here. By the way, uh, Simeon and Levi, you guys are crazy. Um, nobody hang out with these guys because these dudes are wild. Like, don't even go near these guys. And Reuben, hey, I remember what you did with Bilhah. Um, I don't approve of that. And he dies. Like, what? No, wait. You, no, just apparently he doesn't like conflict. And he runs away from it, which I can understand that. Nobody likes conflict. Um, but there's that just nice little nugget for us. And as we just close out this chapter, it says, now the sons of Jacob were 12. He had 12 of them. We know that. The sons of Leah were Reuben. We just heard about him. Um, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi. We know that those, all three of those guys are disqualified. So you have Judah, who's going to be the, the main one that God's going to use to introduce the Messiah into the world. Issachar, Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, the one with Reuben. Um, but these are his half-brothers with, uh, you know, from this relationship. Rachel's maidservant were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, the other maidservant, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. And these were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. This is out to the east, okay? Verse 27. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at, uh, in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, so in the region of Hebron there, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. That's the way to go out, right? What was his cause of death? Oh, old age. He just died. I mean, nothing. Like this, he, he thought he was dying 40 years ago, right? You remember that whole incident. I mean, that was like 40-some-odd years ago. And he's like, I'm dying. I'm out, boys. And he's lived for, for much longer. When he's 180 years old, he's just old and... He breathed his last and he died and was gathered to his people being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So Esau and Jacob come back to bury their father. This is after they had their encounter. And Jacob had told Esau, yeah, yeah, listen, I'll I'll meet up with you at your house. He lied to him, went the other way, had all this heartache and issues and all that stuff. Now he's coming back with a different kind of limp into his brother's life. Because he probably still has the physical limp of wrestling with God. But now he has this different limp of, my wife just died, my son just uh, slept with my concubine, and now my dad is dead. And now my dad is dead. 
And these chapters are closing on, on the, the story of his life. But there he and Esau are together yet again, and it's peaceable. It's peaceable. There's no fighting here so that they can properly bury their father. It's interesting that there's not like, and we know that the relationship between Jacob and his dad is, wasn't very strong. Isaac loved Esau. I mean, so, I mean, you can picture this, envision this, as Esau was probably way more upset. I'm sure Jacob was upset as well, but Esau was loved by Isaac. Jacob was loved by his mom. And, but, but we know that, I mean, the death of a father, I mean, that's, that's still going to crush you. That's still going to break your heart and all that stuff. But, but this is all coming to a close. And so you have this mountaintop experience where Jacob finally gets back right, and then all this stuff starts happening. But in a sense, it's like he's walking in a newness of life. It, you kind of get that feeling from this chapter. And we'll pick up in 37 with Jacob. Before you get there, you have to go through this genealogy of Esau, which is like a lot of names. And uh, yeah, just if you want to see me stumble over names, just come back next week. It'll be hilarious, I'm sure. Um, but just so that we know, a, a, a good chapter, but a good reminder for all of us, um, it's never too late to go back. And in fact, the wisest thing I could tell you is to go back, <laughs> get back with the Lord, wherever you're at, just get back with him because sunshine and all that stuff may be what's on the radar for you. Good days, calm seas may be on the radar for you, but there might be some storm that you were never anticipating. Jacob was probably never expecting Rachel to die that early. He was probably never anticipating that. Praise God, he got back to Bethel and got back with the Lord and had that relationship renewed, so to speak. Praise God for that. And I would encourage all of us, all of us, and it may, listen, I know the times where we cry out to the Lord the most are when we're in the midst of the storm. I would just say, let's cry out to him, you know, even during the good days and say, you know what, Lord, whatever may be coming tomorrow, I just want to be found in you. I just want to be found in you because I don't, Honestly, I don't think I'm strong enough to handle anything that comes my way apart from you. And the other side of that too, guys, is this. There are no deal breakers in life between you and Jesus. That has to be our attitudes in following him. There are no deal breakers. No deal breakers. And what I mean by that is this. Sometimes the worst thing imaginable can happen to you, but it cannot change your relationship with Jesus. That has to be our hearts and our attitudes. It has to be. Now, are you going to hurt and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. And I, again, and I've shared this with you guys many times because it's burned not into my head, but into my heart. But just hearing another pastor say that when he's watching his little girl die. And he says, nothing changes between me and you, Jesus. If you take my daughter, nothing changes between the two of us. That has to be our hearts. That has to be our mentality. Whatever may come, Rachel may die, but nothing changes the relationship between us because the priorities are set back in order. They're set back in order. I I can't encourage all of us enough with that. That's how you walk through this life. Nothing changes. Nothing changes because he's so good. He is so good. He is so good. And if you're not seeing that right now, just hold on. Just hold on. And you will see his goodness is far beyond anything that we could ever imagine or think. He's so good. He's so loving. Hope to the hopeless hope.
There's so much to learn from the pages of Genesis, but sadly, that's all we have time for today on Bread for the Broken. We're so glad you've spent your time with us today and would like to take a moment and let you know how you can hear more of Pastor James Grizzle's teachings. Simply navigate to breadforthebroken.com and click on Teachings to access our archive. Feel free to share the teachings with your friends and family or post them to social media. We love it when we can share the good news of the gospel with anyone and everyone, and you are a part of that. While you're at our website, you'll be able to discover more about the church behind the ministry of Bread for the Broken. Calvary Galveston isn't just another church in our city. We want to be a light for Jesus to all who enter through our doors. We love the Word of God, Jesus, the people of our church, and the people of our city. Do you live in Galveston or are you visiting soon? We'd be honored to meet you in person. Calvary Galveston gathers for Sunday morning services at 10 a.m. Not too early, but in plenty of time to start the week out with worship. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed. Just come as you are. At our service, we search the scriptures for what God wants to teach us, and we spend time reflecting and celebrating Him through worship. Visit breadforthebroken.com for our address and to get more information. We're excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James' teaching. Join us again next time to continue through Genesis and find hope and new life in Jesus. Jesus.